Hello. No, you don't want to go that way. That way, there's spoilers to the film Labyrinth. No. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Lord Manly Supreme, and this week's movie is Labyrinth. So, stuff your codpiece until it looks intimidating, and let's get diabolical. Hello, and welcome to the pod. I'm here with the three lesser spotted buffoons, otherwise known as the Panel of Peril. Huh. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> Please introduce yourselves and tell us your favourite Jim Henson or Creature Shop creation. Hello, I'm Gaz, and my favourite Creature Shop creation is Pilot from the television series Farscape. Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah, he is quite good, actually. Yeah. Mm. I didn't know he was a Jim Henson one. I, d- I did dig into um, some characters, but the Farscape one escaped me. Hello, this is the one they call Adam, and my favourite Jim Henson creation is the Landstriders from Dark Crystal. Oh yeah, because I like the concept. It's it's the the performer inside is on four stilts. Yeah. So I love the way they thought about this great big animal on a alien planet, and then thought, how the f- you know how are we going to do it? And they put somebody in it and they were just going yeah that's great I saw the head from one of those in the Academy Museum in LA Ooh. in the summer terrifying mm. what more terrifying than Gotham more terrifying than oh your wife when she wakes up in the morning oh I'm going to cut that because I'm going to die I challenge you to a jewel sir she will demand Satisfaction. I won't say that because that's that's just digging my hole even deeper. (laughs) (laughs) Or not, as the case may be. (laughs) Craig here. My favourite Jim Henson creature shop creation is... Do you know that big um, bird from the TV show? No. The kids? No. Uh, It's like yellow. No. No, really. It's... Babe, the sheep pig from the Babe movie, Babe. Yeah, I didn't know that was a, a creature shot creation. Mm. I didn't even know that was a Jim Henson thing in me, Bob. Mm. Was it like an animatronic? Yeah. I thought you would have gone for the turtles from the 90s. Yeah. I was thinking turtles, and I was also thinking about Rigel from Farscape. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah he's end, quite good. Yeah. I just love Babe. <laughs> I love the movie, and it's such a convincing creation. Mm. If they hadn't got that perfect the heart of the movie would have been difficult to capture. Mm. I particularly like his little uh, tuft of brown hair. Yeah, it's very cute, isn't uh, it? That really sells it for me. And I thought, when I saw it, I thought, that pig will do. That pig will do. <sighs> just going back to uh, Rigel for a second, it's just popped into my head. He looks a bit like Nigel Farage, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does a bit, actually, yeah. Rigel Farage. <laughs> yeah. Rigel Farage. Put him in a little red cape. And it'd be a spitting image. Yeah, give him a bit of a, a long, wispy moustache. Mm, yeah. Uh. <laughs> a lot of that's down to the puppeteer because the performance for Rigel in it, it was quite a fantastical show, Farscape, anyway. But it had to be grounded enough for you to buy that Rigel was real. And I think they did a good job of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all well, the puppetry is great in that show. And uh, for me, my favourite 
Jim Henson creation is the Skeksis mm. from the Dark Crystal. They're... I think they're freaky, they're terrifying. Yes. And the amazing thing is they needed six puppeteers to operate each one. Mm-hmm. They're bloody massive. Absolutely massive. They had two inside and then yeah. the other four uh, working the outside. Incredible. They all look completely unique as well, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Very different looks per character. That's great. It's such a scary movie, that, anyway, really, especially when you're a kid. Mm. Yeah. I remember the first mm. time seeing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you were shocked <laughs> to discover that I had never seen Labyrinth before, wait till you find out whether or not I've seen Dark Crystal before. When you ask well, you me have. if I've seen Dark Crystal yeah, before have you or seen not. Dark Crystal? Bet you have. Bet you've bloody seen it, haven't you? No. Ah. I haven't seen it. Oh, my no. God. No. <laughs> I've, I've not seen it. I know what it is. I've seen pictures of it. So you didn't see the... Uh, You've not watched Age, Age, Age of Resistance, Resistance either? Uh, no, I watched that. No, I haven't watched that, no. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> do, you, you, do you often wake up in the morning, Craig, and just, just sit on the end of your bed, look out the window and just think, what have I done with my life? No, the <laughs> window's on the side. So. <laughs> so you're just staring at the wall when you're thinking this. Staring at the yeah. wall, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the wall is probably as interesting as his life has been up to this point until he watches Dark Crystal. That's because while you guys were watching Dark Crystal, I was up to my neck in pussy. <laughs> How many cats did you have at that age? Hey. <laughs> Just one, but it was big. <laughs> Later, we'll be competing to see who can come up with this week's most diabolical scheme and earn oh-so-scrumptious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. But first, let's dive into the movie. Released in 1986, Labyrinth was the last feature film directed by legendary puppeteer and filmmaker Jim Henson. Upon its release, it received mixed reviews from critics and struggled at the box office, grossing less than $13 million, barely half of its budget in the US, where audiences expected The Muppets rather than a dark fairy tale in the tradition of Grimm and Hans Christian Andersen. It fared better outside the US, however, going on to gross over $34 million worldwide. By comparison, Top Gun, the highest-grossing film of 1986, took over $176 million at the box office. Crocodile Dundee and Karate Kid Part 2 round out the top three that year. The film stars Jennifer Connelly as 16-year-old Sarah Williams and David Bowie as the improbably-haired Goblin King Jareth. Bowie also composed and performed five songs for the film, which include the memorable Magic Dance and the slightly creepy Within You. Henson co-wrote the story with Canadian writer Dennis Lee, while Monty Python star and fellow Corwin Bayer, Terry Jones, received the sole screenplay credit, despite the script going through several rewrites. In the film, we follow Sarah, who, after being forced to babysit her baby brother, angrily wishes for the goblins to take him away. When the Goblin King grants her wish... Sarah has 13 hours to rescue her brother from the castle at the centre of the labyrinth, or he'll be turned into a goblin forever. Along the way, Sarah encounters many of the world's weird and wonderful inhabitants, including a dwarf who pees in ponds, a fox cavalier, and a gentle giant who can summon rocks. In her final confrontation with Jareth, who reveals she was the object of his desires all along, Sarah refuses him, having come to understand the nature of her own power and claims back her brother. It's 101 minutes of rock opera and stunning practical effects that has become so beloved that it's now considered a cult classic. Before we get into what the panel thought of the film, we're going to play a little game I'm calling 
Are these labyrinth facts real? Or am I messing with you like I did when I told you about Sigourney Weaver eating egg salad sandwiches and listening to whale calls on the set of Alien? <laughs> catchy. Very catchy title, I'm sure you'll agree. Yes, uh-huh. sticks in the mind, that one. I'm going to read you some facts about the labyrinth, but I'm also going to throw in some cheeky fibs. If you think it's an honest-to-goodness fact, say, It's so stimulating being your hat. If you think it's made up, say, You have no power over me. I thought you were going to say the other thing that the hat says, which was uh, something like, listen to this crap or something. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well remembered that, yeah. I remember that bit. What does, well, I thought you'd remember. You've seen it more than I have. No, I can't fucking remember. I don't even remember the hat, to be honest, at this point. <laughs> that, that was Frank Oz. I'm getting an early sense of Gaz's response to this film. <laughs> there was a hat. I reckon he's been on his phone quite a bit. There's a hat and a bird? Wait a minute, what film was it? Right, the first bit of Triv. Here we go. Dennis Lee, who co-wrote the story of Labyrinth with Henson, also wrote the lyrics to the theme song of 1980s television show Fraggle Rock. Uh, yes. What What was the quote for yes? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so, so stimulating, stimulating being your hat. Being your hat. It's so stimulating being your hat. <laughs> I think it's top of your head, isn't it, or something? A part of your head, or something? Isn't it? I thought I'm sure. No, it, was. it really is. It's so stimulating being your hat. Uh, <laughs> fucking hell! <laughs> uh, you are correct. Hooray. His songs for Fraggle Rock. He wrote a few would eventually go on to win a Grammy Award. Fucking hell. Grammy Award for Fraggle Rock. I told you that I watched that the other day, didn't I? I just literally just watched the opening of Fraggle Rock on YouTube and it holds up so well. It looks and sounds really good. All right, the next bit of triv. Helena Bonham Carter auditioned for the role of Sarah, but was passed over in favour of an American actor. It's so stimulating being your hat. So stimulating being your hat. The other one... um... You have uh, no power no. over me? <laughs> no. <laughs> you have no power over me. <laughs> it is, in fact, true. Oh. Yeah. Other actors who auditioned included Jane Krakowski, Yasmin Bleeth, Sarah Jessica Parker, Marissa Tomei, and Laura Dern. Wow. No idea who the first two were, but... Jane Krakowski's in 30 Rock. Yeah. And Ali McBeal. Oh. Uh. Don't watch it. Yasmin Bleeth was in Baywatch. And basketball. Of course, yes, when you please. Yes. Now I know. Mm. Tomorrow I won't know. <laughs> How about the day after? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, auditions began in the UK and wow. yeah, they decided for whatever reason that they wanted an American actor. So They didn't film it in the UK, right? They filmed it on location yeah, somewhere. Did. The Goblin Kingdom. Part in the UK. Elstree Studios yeah. in the UK, yeah. Okay. Okay, next bit of Triv. During development, Henson held discussions with Elton John over him playing the role of Jareth, having seen his turn in The Who's Tommy. You have no power over me. You have no power power over me. me. That is indeed false. Seeking a charismatic star to play the Goblin King, Henson considered Sting, Prince, Mick Jagger and Michael Jackson before Bowie was selected. (laughs) Michael Jackson. He would have fit Jareth. Like a hand in white glove. Yeah. Oh. It'd have been too creepy, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. Imagine Jagger with that big hair, though, as well, strutting around. Jump, the magic jump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next bit of triv. The computer-generated owl that appears at the opening of the film 
marked the first use of a realistic CGI animal in a film. I love being it's your stimulating hats. being your hats. <laughs> I mean, it's questionable, right? Is it realistic? But <laughs> nonetheless, it's so stimulating being your hat. <laughs> True. The sequence was created by animators Larry Yeager and Bill Croyer. Croyer was also known for his work on Tron. You think about it, though, the CGI around that time, I think the year before, it was Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Mm. Have you seen the video for that? How shit that With looks. the real man in the room watching the television. Yeah. There's no CGI with, in that the, video, the, is there? With the, with the blocky, you know, the blocky things. Yeah, I, I was just kidding. That, and then a year later, they've got that owl flapping about. I know which one I'm more impressed by. Die straight. You can stick your money for nothing. All right, the final bit of triv coming right at you. Come on, then. Recalling their time together on the set of Labyrinth, following David Bowie's death in 2016, Jennifer Connolly said, In addition to him being a genius and a gentleman, David shared with me a wonderful hair care technique that I still use to this day. You have no power uh, over me. You have no power you over have me. No power over me. Damn it. It is indeed false. <laughs> In fact, she said he was funny and gracious yeah. and made me feel so comfortable. Because surely that's not his hair in, in that movie anyway, It's right? not. Is it? No, it's surely not. not. No. Sadly not. Terry Jones's hair. Terry Jones's hair. <laughs> Terry Jones. He swooped in at the last minute and took credit for his hair and everything. <laughs> like a poorly CG'd owl. <laughs> <laughs> it still looks better than uh, some of the CG you've seen in, in films from the 90s, though, isn't it? Like Lawnmower Man. Yeah. And species. Species. <laughs> right. Time to find out what the panel thought of this week's movie. Craig, if you were blessed with the ability to harness the power of green gaseous farts to skywrite, what word would you write to describe labyrinth? Um, probably. Um, just one word. Wow. <laughs> In gaseous skywriting. <laughs> I'd probably thought the word muddled. <laughs> I wasn't surprised to hear it had mixed reviews because my review of it is quite mixed as well. My first experience of it wasn't great. But I've watched it twice so that I could pick up on stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in it that I like. But by and large, I think you have to have grown up with it and have a bit of nostalgia for it to see beyond the fact that it's quite convoluted. The plot is kind of meandering, but at the same time, it feels too low stakes to be interesting. And overall, to me looks quite cheap. Even the practical stuff. How dare you? It costs a shitload of money, actually. <laughs> it costs fucking 25 million smackaroons, mate. That's how much it costs. It's Some of fucking... it looks great. I think they spent too much money on the CGI owl, if you ask me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Hoggle, for example, looks great. Yeah. But then most of the other Muppets look shit. Like the goblins and the, the fucking piranhas. Or Ludo. Ludo, nah, nah. Do you know what? The big thing for me is that it doesn't compare favourably to a film that I love that came out the year before it, which is Return to Oz. Because I think the practical effects in Return to Oz, which were created not by the Henson Company, but by a, a splinter group from it. A sleeper cell within the Henson Company. 
I think they are a lot more charming than they are in this, and they just look slicker. And the whole aesthetic of that movie is just more vibrant. A lot of Labyrinth, the first part of it especially, it just looks quite flat to me. Doesn't feel very fantastical. Okay, let's hope Turner gives us a bit more of a positive review. Yeah, um, I didn't enjoy watching it this time, and I've I've watched it recently as well. And I I I don't know, maybe well, it's because I've seen it. Fuck you, <laughs> Mister. <laughs> I just it's not going well is it <laughs> I'm out I, no I didn't I, honestly I, I, I enjoyed watching it still but about halfway through I was. you just contradict yourself there I don't know what to believe anymore I, I, did, I don't know why because I like this film I really do and I remember it from when I watched it as a kid but I just didn't enjoy it this time and like halfway through I was just thinking oh why didn't you choose a dark crystal instead it's much better <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> but saying that, the effects and the scenes, and then when you dig into the production, I think it's brilliant. And I loved, I actually, the, the first thing I wrote is the CGI owl is pretty good, I think, for like 86. <laughs> Ironic. Uh, I think so too. That's when I looked up, I thought, I wonder what other CGI was around at that time. I thought, well, I'm sure money for nothing was then. But I think the production values of, you know, you've got to consider it's it's a film mostly well, with two human characters, essentially, isn't it? And the rest are all puppets. Yeah. I will say, I didn't know that. So now that you've said that, actually, the baby puppet is really good. And the <laughs> mum and dad, Jennifer Connelly's <laughs> mum and dad, are really convincing. I said, essentially. Like, like. I said, essentially. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It took five puppeteers to puppeteer the baby, crammed inside that little <laughs> baby puppet. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's so oddly shaped. <laughs> it was actually massive. <laughs> It was like forced perspective. <laughs> David Bowie's like 50 feet away from the baby. He's got some big Jareth legs on a chair. <laughs> uh, interesting fact about the baby. He was in fact the son of the concept or kind of creative designer, uh, yeah. Brian Froud. Mm-hmm. His real name's Toby. His real name is Toby. Mm-hmm. Brian Froud also worked on Dark Crystal, uh, Lab- Labyrinth, of course, and then he... He also worked on the Disney remake of Pete Dragon fairly recently. Mm. So he's he's quite a well-known creative designer. Yeah. Anyway, Toby Frode still to this day works in film, but he is now a designer and sculptor also. And he recently worked on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio as a oh, sculptor. Nice. <laughs> nice bit of triff. So Gaz, when you watch that film, just think the baby from Labyrinth made that and Marvel. I did. Retroactively, I did think that when I watched it about a month ago. <laughs> Whenever you recall that, just apply that little filter to it, please. I will. You have my word. Uh, so what did you think of the film, Gareth? I really enjoyed it. I was a fan as a nipper and hadn't seen it in probably about 30 years, I would imagine. And yeah, I loved it. It's very sketch showy, yeah. which is probably Terry Jones's influence. Like you get introduced to a wacky new character. You get your punchline and you move on. Yeah. But I think the design of the world is brilliant. Uh, Craig's saying it looks sort of quite cheap and plain for me. I like the simplicity of the world as opposed to how complex and well-designed the puppets are. So the puppets pop more for me. The thing that it reminded me of is like the way that a single frame daily newspaper comic looks. So you've got the characters in the foreground, very simple background. Yeah. Whether that came into their thinking at all, I have no idea. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's funny. The songs aren't much cop. No. But apart from that, the puppets are great. The jokes are very funny. <laughs> the acting is pretty pretty good. David Bowie's David Bowie. He's not a great actor. 
I don't think he's bad. He's very charismatic. Yeah, yeah, of course he's charismatic. And uh, I think he has a lot of fun with the part. Mm. And you ha- we'd have to say that Jareth is an iconic creation, visually and in his mannerisms. People who don't know what Labyrinth is know what Jareth is. And led to the very fun fake meme from Adam Buxton's bug, where if anybody says cunt, Jareth pops up grumbling. And he goes, oh no, you've upset Jareth. <laughs> Well, I'm glad Gaz gave us a positive spin because I absolutely love it too. Well, I've written loads of things I liked about it, if that makes you feel better. It's just that overall... Not as good as Dark Crystal. I felt it looked cheap. And not just the background either. Like the puppets, like the... There's like those little piranha things that are biting Ludo. They look terrible. The things that their heads come off, that's the worst blue screen sequence I've ever seen in anything. The fireys, yeah. Like Jennifer Connelly's head's got like a white halo around it. Well, it's not as bad as Thor friggin' Love and Thunder at the end. No, no. It's not as bad as Thor Love and Thunder, no, actually. So Jim Henson did have reservations about that fiery scene and, and the, the superimposed background. Mm. He wasn't happy with it, but no. it was kind of the best they could do. No, he wasn't. He said he was absolutely fine with it. He almost actually cut that sequence, but he thought the song was so good, he was torn and he ended up uh, leaving it in. Actually, one of the fireys you may have noticed was Danny John Jules, cat from uh, Red Dwarf. I didn't, but that's really cool. He's got some good film credits, Danny John Jules, doesn't he? Didn't recognise him. They all look like these furry, crazy monsters to me. The makeup's too good. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't look like anything like him. <laughs> you can hear his voice mm. if you listen. Yeah, it's yeah. very Danny John Jules. <laughs> I wouldn't hold that against the film if I'd enjoyed it more, but it's just another example of where it looked cheap to me. And in terms of like the backgrounds and stuff, the worst thing for me is the sky. It's just like an off-putting, sickly colour. I like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a blood red, isn't it? Yeah. I just found it really distracting. It looked fake. I think that's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe. There's an artificiality. It's supposed to look otherworldly, yeah. Yeah. It looked a lot better when it got to nighttime for me. You know, when she comes back and she's in the dump or whatever it is (laughs) with the crazy trolley lady. Agnes. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting that 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 character, the the junk lady, is one of the few female characters in the movie. Yeah. Have you noticed the labyrinth is mainly a a male world? Mm. Because it's meant to be a coming-of-age thing as well, right? Exactly. Yeah, Sarah discovering her brimming sexuality by seeing Jareth's codpiece <laughs> at the dance. Exactly. Yeah. As we mentioned, the edit there, Henson received a lot of help editing the film from George Lucas, who was an executive producer. But he actually came in to the later edits of the film and, and did a lot of work in, in the edit studio. Mm. He helped out on Return to Oz as well, I noticed. Uh, okay. And I think Spielberg as well. Because the studio was trying to get rid of the director and uh, they both stepped in and they were like, nah. It's kind of cool to see the sway that those guys had then and that they didn't sit on that. They went around helping people and they probably had a hand in more movies than we realised. Yeah. The interesting thing here is uh, Jim Henson talked about it and he said that George Lucas likes everything kind of really tight, as you know, like short, snappy burst of dialogue, mm. whereas Jim Henson prefers a much looser feel. And he said, so between the two of them, Henson loosened out Lucas's tightness and, mm. and uh, Lucas tightened up Henson's looseness, and so they found that they were able to work well together. I have it on good authority that when they choose their underpants, it's the opposite way around. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I find is, I think the plot's quite meandering and it's not very focused. The reveal of Jareth actually wanting Sarah and not Toby feels like a lie after everything you've seen before that. Like when he talks to the baby and says, oh, in 30 minutes you'll be mine. But then later on he's like, 
I didn't say that. What are you talking about? Or, you know, why did he say it in private? Like, just a lot of it kind of doesn't add up. So you don't think that a Goblin King, the only human Goblin King, what? might have some mental health issues? <laughs> Maybe. I don't remember that. Who are you? What are you doing here? What's my name? <laughs> Particularly the first musical interlude, I found deeply odd. Yeah, magic dance. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> what the fuck's going on? Chucking the baby up in the air. <laughs> you remind me of the babe. Hoodoo. You do. Voodoo. Me do. We do. Hoodoo. Apparently that had a bit of a renaissance on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, yeah? So uh, I was talking to this about this film with my niece, and she's never seen the film, but she knew the words that song was <laughs> from TikTok. <laughs> Wow. I love that song. I absolutely love it. It's just like what I couldn't understand what it was about or why it happened. What, what's going on? Like I thought, is, is he talking about the baby or is he talking about the girl? What's he talking about? And what power of voodoo? What's he talking about? That's not happening. It's all artistic license. It feels kind of like they were like, oh, Mr. Bowie, could you write a song for this film? Yes, okay. Could it be about the film? No, 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 no. <laughs> Would you like to see the script, David? <sighs> I don't need to see the script. It's interesting where he was in his career at that time. That interested. Elstree. Yeah, I was going to say, as soon as he started with that's interesting, I knew it was going to be shit. Elstree, we've established that already. <laughs> well, before I was rudely interrupted, David Crowley, he's coming off the back of his... He's going to read the whole biography now, isn't he? I won't bother. Word for word. Jim Henson was forced to uh, admit that he kind of ripped off the story from the guy who wrote Where the Wild Things Are, Morris Sendak. He wrote a book called Outside Over There, where a girl has to rescue a baby sister who's been stolen by goblins. And the goblins replace her with a changeling made of ice, and when it melts, then she realises the goblins have got her. And yeah, at the end of the credits, it's actually got their... um, What's it say? It says something like, Mr. Henson recognises the influence of Mr. Sendak or something like that. That's not what happens in Labyrinth. I would have told him to shove it up his fucking asshole. Yeah. Well, you do see uh, the the camera pans across a copy of Where the Wild Things Are in the opening. Mm. Mm -hmm. And The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Yeah, and and, and several others, yeah. But um, actually, there are a few iterations of the film. So it's funny it ended in that way because at one point it was going to be about a king who lost his child. Mm. Then it was going to be about a girl in Victorian era... London. Jack the Ripper. But it, it ended up going through some rewrites and they, they wanted to make it as relatable to kind of modern audiences as possible. So it ended up being the Sarah we got. But that's strange how he gave that credit to Morris Sendak. I've never heard of that book, so I'd have, to, I'd have to see how close it is. I don't think any money changed hands. It's very evidently also based on stuff like The Wizard of Oz. So, I mean, for him to kind of claim that was his original idea is, is a bit rich anyway, right? Because it's so steeped in the tropes of things like this. In fact, it has one trope that I really don't care for, which is the <laughs> everything in the fantasy world you have to be introduced to in the real world first, yeah, like yeah. the dog. Or the teddies. Yeah. yeah, and the labyrinth has a book. And it's like, oh, did it really happen? Or was it all in a fuck off? Just either it happened or it didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? You mean like the statue of the Goblin King on a dresser? There's no magic in your soul, is there? <laughs> no, no, no. You're getting me wrong. There is magic in my soul, and that's why shit like this annoys me. Because it's saying, this might not be magical fantasy. It might be psychological... Warfare. And it's up to you to decide 
is this girl, it's like Dorothy in Return to Oz, is she in a mental asylum being electrocuted or did she go back to Oz? Because at the end, all the things are real, aren't they? Because she sees them in the mirror and then you think, oh, it's just going to be this thing in the mirror. Then she turns around, they're actually in the bedroom and they start having a party. Well, that could be one interpretation of it and the other one could be she hallucinated the whole fucking thing. Maybe there was a carbon monoxide leak in her house. (laughs) Well, that's your interpretation because you're angry. It's not my interpretation, is it though? (laughs) It is. I'm saying the opposite. I didn't interpret that. No, you, so, <laughs> you're having trouble following what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm not. I've I'm, I'm, I'm followed what I've been thinking, and I don't care for what you're saying. That's what it is. <laughs> One thing I really don't care for is your opinion on this film. <laughs> that's not my opinion. <laughs> she's definitely a strange child, though, isn't she? She starts the film. She's dressed yeah. up as a medieval princess <laughs> in, a, in a public park mm. on her own. Which I would say yeah. is quite an odd thing for a child of her age to be doing. She's just a bloody teenager. She's like the eighties version of a goth. <laughs> Goths were around in the eighties, weren't they? Wasn't that when they started? <laughs> Maybe, but probably not as uh, dark. Well, there's your quote for the episode already. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's the eighties version of a goth. <laughs> Well, that, that was obviously highlighting her resistance to grow up, wasn't it? Yeah. Still playing dress up at 16. And then being a, like a Mardi teenager as well by going, eh, nobody listens to me. I'm not looking at the baby. She's awful, isn't she? Oh. That's probably what happens when you get three <laughs> middle-aged men to write what they think a teenage girl is like. And they're like, oh, when I was a teenage girl, I loved to dress up in medieval clothes and read a book in the park. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And when my parents told me to come home, I said, no, I shan't. (laughs) And then I shan't come home and I just shit my pants right there and then. Oh, and I did hate my baby brother because, of course, my parents wanted a boy. And so I shook him and I shook him until he stopped crying. (laughs) And his his head just fell off. I was quite hysterical. (laughs) Right, favourite moments. Oh, stop talking to me. Quickly before we go to, I think part of the reason why she's dressed up is she's got um, a D and D Dungeons and you know Dragons on the on her shelf in her room. We don't dress up when we play D and D. Well, we do a bit. I do. Uh, I I do, do. Bit, yeah. So I think I think she's she's a bit into that as well. So I think there's yeah. there's just there's little cues in there. There's like there's stuff in a bedroom. You've got to be quick to see what's on there. Yeah, my highlights: the Goblin King. On the dresser. She's got mm. pictures of David Bowie in the room as well, hasn't she? Has she? Yeah, she's got pictures of him. Well, there you go. Then it clearly is in her head, right? Or is it just a coincidence that Jareth looks like David Bowie? Coinky didn't. Well, where do you think David yeah. Bowie gets his powers from? Yeah. You think he's writing those songs on his own? Yeah. No, 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 my well, friend. Well, not anymore, I don't. i tell you the things that I did notice on her dresser that I was a little bit disturbed by was the Quaaludes, Gin. Quaaludes? <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the power of voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> Who do? You do. Favourite moments, well. I'm going to try for the (laughs) fifth time, yeah, favourite moments, Craig, you start us off. I fucking love the door in the oubliette. So when she's in the oubliette and uh, Hoggle picks up the door and and he closes the door and when he opens it from the, the left, it's got a cupboard in it. So he closes it again and opens it from the right and it's fucking seamless and then it goes out. I can't see any cuts in that. It's so well done. Yeah. And it's such a cool idea. Yeah, that's great. So that was one of my first favourite things. I'll let someone else do some so I don't step over all of them. Because I got a few things. For how much I said that, like, my overall impression of this wasn't great, I did watch it again, and I've got a few. That goes back to it being quite sketchy, I think, doesn't it? Yes. There's lots of great little moments. It doesn't necessarily 
former case of hole but my favorite sequence is when she's falling down into the pit after having to choose between the two doors with the helping hands yeah yeah and the hands are forming different kinds of faces i think it's it's really really clever and Mm. i remember that sequence being quite disturbing to me when i was little Mm. because the hands kind of are made up to be grey and cracked yeah. yeah, and the voices are distorted and it just, I suppose looking back, it made me think of old people and kind of of death It is creepy <laughs> and It's just all these kind of almost like zombified yeah. creatures taunting her I think it's so inventive, so simple but so brilliant and Just mm-hmm. the amount of different combinations they get to make completely yeah. different faces just out of people's hands, yeah. I think is un- unreal so so clever yeah that's the skill of the muppeteer but (laughs) the other thing about that sequence is uh, maybe this is why my overall impression of it wasn't so strong is that that sequence is so slick like believably she's falling there and some of the other sequences don't look as good you know like the one we were saying with the bad blue screen and there's a bit when she comes back into the labyrinth and she's falling and she's just kind of very casually puts one hand down and one up and looks down. And it's like quite a nice still image, but it doesn't look like she's falling. Mm. There's a weird mix of styles going on, kind of a kitchen sink approach. Like every, They try something different in every sketch. I think Gaz really hit the nail on the head with that, actually. It is like a series of set pieces rather than a cohesive whole, and they don't blend too well. But yeah, that, that sequence is great. That's one of the ones I wrote down, actually. Mm. Right, Tello, what do you got? The Upside Down Guards... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that that whole sequence, how she explains how she knows which one's lying, mm. and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, <laughs> is that right?" I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the first bit where you you know it is like it's like Alice in Wonderland bit that isn't it? Yeah, mm. and that's the first bit that really sucked me in. There's a really similar bit that I like, which is the door knockers. Yeah, yeah. the one that's got the ring through his ears can't hear, yeah. and the yeah. one that's got it in his mouth can't talk. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. that's great. Yeah. And she apologises when she puts the ring back in. And you just hear her go, "Sorry, respect." For me, there are. A few little touches I, I just love all the way through, like the milk bottles outside the Goblin Castle waiting to be collected. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's great. Yeah. yeah, I didn't catch that either. It's amazing. There's a few little bits like that all the way through that feels like the, the touches of Terry Jones. Yeah. But then uh, my highlight is is where we meet Hoggle peeing into the pond. Because yeah. <laughs> then you see him poisoning these fairies. Yeah. And you see Sarah with her typical kind of fairy tale image of fairies and what then the fuck's he poisoning for like pests aren't they mm. yeah and then they bite her and then you think okay yeah. this world isn't yeah. what it seems mm. and you yeah. know you're in for something unusual and it's, it just sets the scene really nicely yeah oh so i got here i didn't realize he was a fox but i've written i like the dog that rides the dog i've got that sedidimus <laughs> sedidimus yeah he's brilliant he's very very funny <laughs> that's what i thought i've my literally my note is a dog riding another dog question mark yeah. <laughs> Didymus is probably my favourite character. I just can't get my head around it. <laughs> the thing I like about Sididimus is he's like your classic upper crust, deluded faux hero, isn't he? So like during yeah. the big battle sequence, yeah. he's completely outmanned, outnumbered, <laughs> outgunned. And he turns around to see a load of knights putting swords right in his face and he's like, ah, had enough, have you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Richly comic, that character, and cute as well. I'd like to give him a little pet. <laughs> I'd have loved to have walked through that set, the Goblin City. I'd have loved to have just walked around that set 
the the mm. details on mm. on the buildings have, uh, it's just beautiful yeah that's where i could see a lot of studio stuff but maybe maybe that wouldn't bother you if you were expecting it i was looking at it thinking did they run out of budget by doing other stuff yeah probably the, the fart gags on the on the bog of eternal stench cost a bit <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. they they actually uh, they got awesome wells to do the farts <laughs> <laughs> And he was saying, well, uh, well, how would you like these farts? Would you like them rich and bubbling, or would you like them shallow, but with a hint of guilt? <laughs> and, a, and a suggestion of moisture. <laughs> Another sequence that I think looks jarringly slick and amazing is just the whole MC Escher staircase. Yeah, it's brilliant. Where Jareth's walking around the edges oh yeah i'm still not sure how they did that amazing i was looking at it again and thinking is that a stuntman on wires how do they do that pushed him it's just a composite isn't it but you know when he comes from underneath and he goes over the top like it is seamless attached a fishing hook to the end of his cock and just pulled him up like (laughs) yeah it must be like split into (laughs) four quarters and stitched together in various ways must be. Yeah. Good luck finding his cock among all that padding, Turner. Well, He's tried. He's yeah. tried. What's that? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> pure Bowie. <laughs> I've got to make myself look big for the girls. <laughs> you know, people don't know how to pronounce his surname. Is it Bowie or Bowie, right? I say Bowie. Bowie. It is Bowie yeah. because he was on John Peel when Duncan was born mm. and he announced that his name was Zoe. Zoe Bowie. And then people started calling him Zoe Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm Duncan Jones, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I made one good film and that's it. Oh, that was a good film as well. It was good. Oh, what a film though, yeah. Fair dues. Which one are we talking about? We all talk about Moon. Yeah, yeah. Not Warcraft. <laughs> I haven't seen World of Warcraft to be honest, but Moon I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moon's excellent. Right, any favourite lines, Gentle Moon? Yeah. Yes. The first one I've written is, you know very well where he is. <laughs> Just mainly because of the delivery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None more Bowie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bowie on Bowie on Bowie, refracted forever, like all yeah. the mirrors. <laughs> when he's telling Sarah about the crystal ball and it can show her her dreams, but she has to give up Toby. <laughs> and she says to him, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me. <laughs> so what the fuck, do you? <laughs> yeah. Just twizzle this ball around a bit. And there you go. Oh, thanks very much. How is he so good at that, by the way? Oh, no. It's, That's someone else's hands. It was a guy behind him. Yeah. yeah. That was somebody else working working behind him doing this. Oh, uh, wow. The old arms behind your back and yeah. poke them under. Yeah. It looks good, though, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah I love yeah. that. so funny. I got one more favourite line, if you don't mind, which is, after he's told a joke to the goblins and he goes, well, laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Chris Evans method during his radio one days. (laughs) Turner, any favourite lines? Yes. You remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is going on? And it just ends that crazy magic dance section. (laughs) Just like... (laughs) Just the way it starts off, I was just killing myself. I was like, what the fuck? I forgot. I, I, it's just weird. Yeah. Just strange, but I love it. I love that whole bit, the whole magic dance bit. It's just nuts. Yeah, I love it too. My note about the magic dance this musical interlude is deeply odd, and I underlined the word deeply. Yeah. <laughs> I know the the whole film isn't a vehicle for Bowie. They just went, this is who we want, eventually. But nobody else could have made it as iconic, I don't think. 
I think yeah. if it was like, like I said, Mick Jagger or Sting or anything like that, it wouldn't be, but that bit just identifies why he was the best choice for the movie, even though he's, you know, he's no actor. It's just a brilliant section, and I think that's probably the, the best sequence of the film. Yeah. I don't know why his acting's getting so uh, slated here. I thought not only was he very good in this, but oh, he's great in The Prestige as well. No, he's not. Liar. <laughs> Liar. There's smoke coming up from under your desk because your pants are on fire. <laughs> him in the prestige no not really <laughs> i just i don't rate his acting personally he's not a very good actor his acting in the prestige is stare and speak like david bowie with a very slight accent i need to watch that again indeterminate <laughs> european accent <laughs> my name is david Bowie. my name is david tesla and i have created electricity for you <laughs> i will make you the machine but the machine is a very dangerous machine do you understand <laughs> that's the kind of thing that he says <laughs> yeah i mean famously mick jagger is only good at playing villains from the future as evidenced by free jack cyberpunks exactly yeah. Gareth, do you have a favourite line? The little cockney worm right at the start of the labyrinth. Oh, yeah. When she works out that the wall is an optical illusion. He just goes, Oi, don't go that way. Don't go that way. So she goes the other way. And then he's speaking to himself. He basically looks at the camera and says, Woo, if she kept going on that way, she would have gone straight to that castle. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's really, really funny. Cracked me up. You can tell it's the, the guy doing a voice for that uh, that little worm is an American as well. How is it? Yeah, well, you can tell. I thought it was quite a good Cockney accent. Oh, it's good, yeah. It's a great no, voice. It's, yeah. it's like, it's definitely an American doing it. It's like accentuated to fuck, isn't it? Oh, hello. <laughs> all that. Hello. Come inside and meet me missus. That's what he says first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come inside, have a nice cup of tea. <laughs> and I was like, fucking hell. Timothy Bateson. Who was the caterpillar worm in Labyrinth? Was an English actor. Yeah. There you go. Oh, was he? Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. Fair enough. I retract my former accusations of being an American. Yeah. And my favourite line is another Jareth line. So the labyrinth is a piece of cake, is it? Well, let's see how you deal with this little slice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's actually amazing. I did hear that and it didn't quite sink in, but now that you've reminded me about it, that's a brilliant line. You'll be needing a fork, I suppose, will you? <laughs> or perhaps a spoon. A little bit of extra cream on the side. <laughs> I have some uh, personalised questions that I'd like to ask, if you don't mind. I'll begin with Turner. <clears throat> Turner, many people describe Labyrinth as their sexual awakening. Do you agree? No. Thank you. Controversial. <laughs> no, it um, didn't do anything for me. Not even a twitch. No stirring in your loins? No. Not even one sperm twizzling his way <laughs> down the canals. Not one. I think it's typically among teenage girls, apparently. Particularly, it's uh, a lot of people are attracted to the danger in, in Jarrah's character, apparently. Mm. He's not very dangerous, though, is he? Well, for a young girl. He's got some crystal balls, twizzles around a bit. Threatens various stuff, never materialises, and that's it. Bish bash bosh. You're saying he's, he's all codpiece and no... Uh... No trousers. <laughs> no trousers. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of trousers and codpieces, Gaz, have you ever stuffed socks or similar padding in your pants to impress someone? And we need the truth here, please. Yeah, be honest. Um... We know what the answer is, so we can call you on it. I don't think so. 
I have done it, but not to impress anybody, just to sort of <laughs> look at myself in the mirror and go, yeah. <laughs> you know you've got it. Hey there, big boy. <laughs> How are you doing? Show me the stuff. Show me the stuff. For the, uh, for the listeners out there that might want to do that to impress someone, do you have a, a recommended sock size or style that really works well? Um, like a, a new pair of socks that you get for Christmas where there's five, mm. like all with like a little bit of plastic all the way through. Oh. Shovel five down. <laughs> it's a bit of a weird shape. But... It's got the little hanger on the end. Make sure that's protruding slightly. That's a conversation starter. So your balls looks like a Vionetta. <laughs> What's that hook coming out of your bloody trousers there? Oh, it's fishing accident. There you go. you, you got something to talk about straight away, haven't you? you got a rapport building. I thought you'd want to know all of our sexual awakening. No, I don't know yours. Yours must be really dark. Yeah. Gremlins 2. <laughs> Which gremlin? <Yeah>. Spike. <laughs> Phoebe Cates. Phoebe Cates. I didn't see Labyrinth as a teenager. Maybe it would have been. But Phoebe Cates, when I was a teenager... Mm. And I hadn't even seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High, just Gremlins 2. That was enough for me. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to share this, but here we go. I have two that I can think of. One was watching Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah. Wilma. And the other was watching oh, Annika yeah, Rice Wilma. on yeah. Challenge Annika. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fair, fair shout, yeah. <laughs> she is like the milk tray man, but for men, right? The milk tray <laughs> the woman. The milk tray woman. <laughs> Coming around in a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the jumpsuits because they were in jumpsuits in Buck Rogers yeah. and she was wearing jumpsuits. Yeah, so I must yeah. have a thing for jumpsuits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Craig, here's your question. All right. Have you ever peed or defecated in a pond or similar ornamental water feature? Pretty much every day, I would have thought for you. No. Why? Sorry to boring answer. Have you ever thought about it at least? Unless you got my toilet as a. <laughs> It's an ornamental feature. <laughs> I peed in the street, but you, you don't get many fountains in towns where I've been. So They've all been bloody taken down by the woke mob, haven't they? This <laughs> 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 fountain was erected for a, a slave master, they said to us. I said, I don't care. It's a, a beautiful piece of local architecture. My mum used to love this fountain, and now it's gone, and I don't love my mum anymore. <laughs> Bloody woke mob replaced it with a uh, with a vegan burger. (laughs) (laughs) Are we ready for the villain's plot? Yes. If only so that I can hear what it is. Yeah. (laughs) To prevent Sarah from reaching her brother at the centre of the labyrinth, Jareth sends her into a confounding maze filled with odd folk, many of whom hinder her in one way or another. He also forces Sarah's dwarf friend to poison her and threatens them with a one-way trip to the bog of eternal stench before finally offering Sarah everything she desires in return for her undying devotion. So, what did you think of Jarrah's plot? Was it peachy? Or did it smell like the aforementioned bog? Gaz? It's not great, is it? If he wants her to marry him... Why does he put her through the labyrinth? Why isn't he just there right at the start? Doesn't make mm. a whole heap of sense to me. Mm. No. And the baby's kind of superfluous too. He, he's more like the babysitter to the baby, isn't he? He's, he's having a song and a dance to entertain the baby. Bit of a pain in the arse. Just leave the baby at home in bed. It's fine. Yeah. Right. Cry itself to sleep. It's like entering a raffle and then getting a prize you don't really want. <laughs> like shampoo. 
Yeah. Put the shampoo in your bald. What the <laughs> fuck am I going to do with this? Just lather your scalp. <laughs> lather your eyebrows every day. Oh, this is this is luxury, <laughs> this. Maybe he doesn't know who she is before she wishes for her brother to be taken away. And then when he meets her, that's when he decides he wants to marry her. But you see the owl watching her in the park when she's mm. playing dress-up. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, I put that as well. I put, is Bowie... The owl, or is Jareth the owl? I think so, yeah. I think he is at the end, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. all the way through he is, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think it's explicit at the end that he is, right? Maybe Mm. you wouldn't know it the first time you saw it. Mm. Yeah. But still, it could be that he's been watching her, and he's like, oh, I wish she would wish for some goblins to take something of hers. (laughs) And then it just happens that she does that with her brother, and he's like, oh. Jackpot, baby. Now what am I going to (laughs) do? How do human boys ask girls to marry them, I wonder? Maybe they'll put them through some kind of test. Yes, that seems plausible. (laughs) I think Gaz has hit the nail on the head there. Mm -hmm. Quite. With his his idea of asking her something different earlier. And I may get to that later. Oh. Oh. And uh, for the very odd plan of putting Sarah through a maze that actually strengthens her, I'm uh, I'm giving Jareth a a two-florets of broccoli rating. See, that's your problem, fucking patriarchy. (laughs) You should be putting your woman through a maze that empowers her. Yeah. What you want to do in the maze (laughs) is give her friends that boost her self-esteem. Like he does. All these adversaries he sends at her actually are her allies, right? And I think what he should have done to woo her is he should have just given her more stuff that women like. And maybe we'll come to that later. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe. Typical, though, that you... (laughs) the man would see strengthening your lady as a problem. <laughs> I think it's looking from the eyes of a villain. You generally don't want to strengthen your opponent, right? Yeah. He just doesn't have a plan, though, does he? He just, he thinks, oh, she'll give up in a bit, and then, then she gets so far and he goes, oh, well, fuck it, I'll knock loads of time off you then. And then she goes, oh, yeah, fuck her, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he gets to the end and just goes, give her this peach, it's laced with LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, just to your point there, imagine if Hugo Drax defeated James Bond, yeah. but then said, sorry, James, I've defeated you. Allow me to give you three months to work on those abs and build <laughs> some sweet biceps, and then we can come back and have another tussle. Yeah, but Hugo Drax didn't want to marry James Bond. You um, know what I mean? Didn't oh, he? maybe he did, though. Yeah. He did in my plan, didn't he? did touch on this, didn't we? Because he didn't have a partner. Maybe he was trying to snare James Bond the whole time to get him on the space station so he can, you know, procreate with him somehow in some space-age techno fashion. I thought we all agreed that he was sodomizing the pilot. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, in summation, do not strengthen your opponent. That's generally a, a no-no. Unless your opponent is a bridge you wish to drive over. <laughs> <laughs> Which it could be. Let's see as we move on to the next part of the show. A bridge you detest, though. This is the part of the show where we compete to see who can improve the villain's scheme the best and earn precious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. We'll each share an alternative plan and vote for our favourite at the end. Remember, we can't vote for our own plan, and if either of you three wins, you'll receive two peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. As host, if I win, I will only get one peril point as I pick this movie. To persuade Sarah to fear him, love him, do as he says, and stay with him in the Goblin Kingdom rather than rescuing her brother, Jareth sends her into a dastardly maze. But her quest leads Sarah to understand the true nature of her power. 
which empowers her to ultimately refuse the Goblin King. Adam, what would you have done differently? Well, I've got two plans. You only like one. One is quite short. The Go other with the is short one. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> so, cast your vote for either plan one or plan two. I won't tell you which one. Fuck no. Absolutely not. You can't have two plans. This is bullshit. Just vo- no, but just vote. Just vote now. Which one I'm going to do? Oh, I see. Okay. Plan one. I'll go plan one. I'm going to go with two. <laughs> <laughs> plan one. It is it's two to one. Wait, so do you not get that- a vote? No, I don't get a vote. No, I just thought I'd throw it open to. You. All right, I'm going to change my vote to plan one. <laughs> I want to change to plan two. <laughs> Gaz, are you going to keep your vote? I'm abstaining. <laughs> hey? Non-voting felon. I'm going to stick with plan one, which is the shorter plan of the two. Thank God for that. <laughs> As we see at the start of the film, Sarah likes to act. She pretends she is like a princess or a lady. Perhaps she is acting out her fantasies of being a D&D character. Why she gets through the labyrinth relatively unharmed. Sarah is tempted when Jareth shows her a vision of the future by dancing around at a masquerade ball. She even recognises Jareth's resemblance to one of her idols, David Bowie, but it isn't enough to seal the deal. So Jareth twizzles his crystal balls around a bit and says something cryptic. Nothing. Maybe if he stands with his hands on his hips, opens his shirt up a bit and partially steps onto something, thrusting his crotch forward... Nope, nothing. He's played his best cards to no avail. But what can he do to drag her attention from Toby? Sarah, do you like Nintendo? I have a brand new Nintendo Entertainment System here. It's got that game called Duck Hunt. I've even got the gun for it. Fancy a go. Sarah's eyes light up. Jareth gets the goblins to wheel out a new TV and he and Sarah get cracking. They are having such a fun time that even Hoggle, Sir Didymus and Ludo join in. Although Ludo isn't very good and sits on the gun and gets it stuck up his arse. (laughs) If you think that's impressive, Sarah, I hear they're bringing out some kind of bazooka later on. I've already got my name on the waiting list. Fancy hanging round for that. And she does. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've made a compelling and I think true to life case. I'll share the script of my second one with you later. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Two questions. Yeah. Question one. How come in your version of Labyrinth, Jareth was played by Matt Berry? <laughs> uh, I just creative license. Oh, can you imagine Matt Berry as Jareth? Ooh, oh yeah. yeah, I'm picturing it right now. <laughs> He'd be amazing. Oh yeah, there has been talk of a sequel. Yeah, Scott Derrickson, he directed Doctor Strange. He's been yeah. attached to it since 2020. Wow. And in 2021, Jennifer Connelly said she's been contacted about a role, although she Jesus. didn't know what, what that would entail. She should be the Goblin Queen, that'd be amazing. That's what I was just going to say, yeah. It'd have to be something completely different though, wouldn't it? it I don't think they could have a like a music star in it. But right? It'd have to have a labyrinth in it, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
<laughs> kill two birds with one stone and have the music star Labyrinth who did pass out with Tiny Temper. <laughs> what is rumoured, and this is only a rumour at this stage, is that obviously it's going to be done by Jim Henson Company, so they're puppet masters, they're bringing back Bowie from the grave. And they're just going to puppeteer him like Weekend at Bernie's. Just going to puppeteer the fuck out of him. <laughs> Six puppeteers <laughs> to inside. If we don't cut this and somehow... Duncan Jones finds it on Twitter. I can only apologise. <laughs> you have my sincerest apologies. So my other question was, you went yes. to some lengths to explain to us that no, Sarah's into stuff like D and D. Barely went to any lengths. <laughs> sustained. Some yeah, lengths. Sustained. Overall. <laughs> you told us that Sarah likes D and D. Why would that? equate to her liking Duck Hunt on NES. I think Duck Hunt's fucking awful. She's not played it yet and she likes it. It's state of the art at the time though, isn't it? State of the art, yeah. You got a gun. Spared no expense. You're shooting ducks on the telly. If you'd said that she was playing The Legend of Zelda on an NES, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Or if you played the Labyrinth game on Nintendo. On NES? Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Was it like a dead basic maze? Yeah. Yeah. LucasArts. LucasArts. Oh, really? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. My issue is that the yes. bazooka was for the Super Nintendo, which came yeah. out in like the early nineties. So Oh yeah, you fucked it. You fucked the whole thing. Wait a minute, I'm pretty sure there was a there was an NES bazooka as well. Nah, the gun for the NES was a pistol gun. That's what I remember, yeah. No no it was you right, uh, it's just me. Yeah. Well I did say he had his name on the waiting list, so in nineteen eighty six. So I won't let that ruin it, but, you know, it did throw me out of the, the immersive tale you were telling. <laughs> what a twat. There you go. <laughs> All right. Any more questions? No. Let's go no. to Craigie then. Blessed disciples of Diablo, I'd like to begin by reading the following transcript. Jareth, you remind me of the babe. Goblins, what babe? Jareth, the babe with the power. Goblins, what power? Jareth, the power of voodoo. The power... Of voodoo. To think a simple dull effigy of Sarah could turn her into my slave simply by the insertion of pins would be absurd. Despite the name, voodoo dolls are not prominent in Haitian voodoo and not used in Louisiana voodoo. Why, she'd be no more a puppet than Ludo or Boggle or any of these other Muppets around here. But there is a more sinister side to voodoo. Cottage cheese! (laughs) Knowing the power this fermented slop has over all women, I would simply place tubs of it all around the labyrinth. Sarah would be powerless to resist its charms. I've made the walls of my labyrinth from Rivita for you, Sarah. (laughs) Wouldn't you prefer some nice ricotta, paneer, or mascarpone, Sarah? No? You say you're happy with your cottage cheese, Sarah? Okay. Slap that baby, Sarah. Slap him and set him free. Then you'll be free. Free to eat all the cottage cheese you want. (laughs) And, of course, cottage cheese, cottage cheese. The only cheese guaranteed to please. (laughs) Yes, that is how I know that the power of voodoo... Is is associated with cottage cheese. Are there any women out there, Craig, that might like a, a different variety of cheese? <gasps> don't think so. <laughs> it feels to me like that's wrong, but I don't have the evidence to back it up, so I'll, I'll, I'll accept it. I think you should add a disclaimer at the end saying other snack biscuits are available, i.e. cracker bread. Are they? 
Not in the labyrinth. No. The labyrinth <laughs> made of Ravita. <laughs> but does anyone actually like Ravita? Only women and only with cottage cheese. And what <laughs> the other thing that I found out in my research was... Do women like other types of soft cheese? They don't. They don't like ricotta. They don't like paneer. They don't like mascarpone. They like cottage cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I just googled whether cottage cheese is popular in America, and it is. But it's got quite a funny line. It says, um, by the 1970s, its amicable presence in recipes and on diet plates had made it a star. Fame is fickle, and so are the nation's eaters. <laughs> <laughs> Fickle bastards. It's a cracking Google result. (laughs) Other search engines are available. (laughs) Thank you, Gus. But if you use them, you're a chump. I googled it on Bing, is what they say. Bing users. We're a duck duck go house on the whole. (laughs) All right. If there are no further questions for Craig, we'll move on to Gaz's plan, please. Okay. Jareth isn't shy of a bit of an old chinwag with Sarah, is he? He pled his case in the film, and it's a case I don't remember particularly well at this point, to be fair. <laughs> he probably says something along the lines of, Zara, Zara, stay with me in the <laughs> Goblin Kingdom forever, rather than choosing to rescue Toby, though. That's all well and good, but he doesn't give her much of an incentive to stay, does he? This was the go-go aces, and ladies all round the world were bloody loving getting out into the world of work. I've no idea why. Work is an absolute mugs game. But who knows how their minds work, am I right? (laughs) Therefore, the way to convince Sarah to stay in the Goblin Kingdom is to present her with a list of job roles that she would be able to fill. And I've got that list right here. Number one, dredging the pit of eternal stench for... Biscuits or something, I don't know. Two, substitute door knocker for when those other lads need a break. Three, doctor. Four, <laughs> apple picker for little cockney worms. They've got to eat, haven't they? Five, chief pamperer <laughs> for dogs of the realm. You say Didymus and what have you. Six, hairdresser. And actually, do you know what? <laughs> Those last two jobs can and already have been combined into one retail unit by Jareth. It does a decent trade in doggy haircuts and human ladies' perms, but Sarah is just the person to put the business over the top. Her name will be above the door, so to speak. There's a handsome six-figure Goblin Bucks pay package, and the branding has already been taken care of. Sarah can just walk into the role and work her metaphorical magic inside the unit. Yep, Jareth is very proud of his business, which he has named Groomers. (laughs) (laughs) So, I've got a few problems with that. Hmm. You'll be surprised to hear. So the first one is, I'm not totally convinced that a woman would do a job at all, but the job <laughs> list that you offered, so dredging a bit of stench, that's that's a man's job. It's the bog of eternal stench, thank you. Yeah. All right, yes. he said pit. Sorry. All right. You, doctor, you said, did you mean nurse? Um <laughs> Jesus Christ. We've got to cut all this, Craig, you goddamn misogynist. <laughs> And uh, you also said that he was offering her this list of jobs, but you assumed that she would go for the dog pamperer slash hairdresser job. What if she wants to be a door knocker? <laughs> she could be. She's got two knockers, hasn't she? She could be both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. I wouldn't worry, Turner. I'd 
I'd worry about the person who thought that I meant any of that. I'd worry for them a lot. Yeah, but you know, we live in um, strange times. You've got form, though. You've got form, mate. Yeah. I got form. What? Yeah. After calling you patriarchy earlier for, for saying something really innocuous. <laughs> um, one thing I struggle with there, Gaz, was the leap from 16 year old girl dressing up and playing in the park to hairdresser. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um it's probably always been a dream, hasn't it, when you think about it. <laughs> Clues are there. She's gotta read between the lines. She's got a dressing table yeah. with a big mirror. She combs her hair. Yeah, that's true. Uh, she probably yeah. uses products on it. She does brush her hair, yeah. She does. Are we suggesting that the person who cuts Jareth's and Didymus's hair needs to be a skilled hairdresser? It doesn't look like they do. <laughs> It's like, uh, you know, um, on that uh, suck cut on Wayne's World. That's what they've used yeah. to cut Jarrah's hair. Yeah. Well, it sucks in it cuts. <laughs> it certainly does suck. Okay. <laughs> so there are no further questions. I'll get on to my plan. Please do. So as we've discussed, sending Sarah into the labyrinth was the worst thing Jareth could have done. The trials she undertook helped her realise her true strengths and gave her the power to reject the Goblin King. So I would make my offer much sooner. I watch in owl form as Sarah recites lines from her favourite book in the park. It's clear she sees herself as some kind of performer. I follow her back to her house as she runs home and watch through the window as she argues with her father and stepmom. Then as she struggles with her baby brother. When she calls for the goblins to take him away, I swoop in with a counteroffer. Sarah... Why send him to the Goblin Kingdom when you could go instead? Naturally, she is hesitant, so I take out my balls and fondle them in my hand. (laughs) She marvels as the light dances across the crystal. I begin to blow my balls, and they float like bubbles across the room, each one showing a moving image of what life could be like in the Goblin Kingdom. She sees herself performing in a specially built theatre in a goblin castle. Hundreds of roses rain upon her as she bows to her adoring fans. She sees herself dancing in the finest of finery at lavish masquerade balls and is the celebrated guest at luxurious dinner parties. As she stares in wonder, synth music fills the air with the dazzling veneer of the 80s. Give yourself, I'll make you a star You'll have an audience, and they'll adore you Hang on your every word All I need is your love and devotion Won't you fear me, and I'll make you a star All I need Is your love and devotion, won't you fear me? Yes, I'll make you a star. Come now, Sarah, take my hand. We'll go to this forever, ever, never land. All I need 
use your love and devotion, won't you fear? And I'll make you a star. Yeah. <laughs> As the music fades, I hold out my hand. Sarah takes it, and Toby is left alone. I quite like that, and I like the way you incorporated music once again. And I did start to write a song. There was no way I was going to watch an 80s film with Bowie and not do a song. I mean, it's the labyrinth. I had to. <laughs> Any questions for that foolproof plan? Um, no, because I like, cause like I say, I, I would have I've already incorporated into one of my plans, so I would be just arguing against my own genius, really. So. Well, I will tell you, Turner, is if you are planning on doing a song in a future episode, mm-hmm. the first thing that I wrote is, not another fucking try-hard song. I can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe they're upstaging me again. I can't believe <laughs> that we're falling back on season one tactics to impress Gaz. To be honest, <laughs> I think if there's a film that you could say legitimately I'm creating a piece of music for in that kind of style, it's this film. And I thought that. That's why I started to write a song. I thought I can legitimately say... It's the main star is is one of the biggest music stars the world has ever seen. So sure, that's legitimate for sure. Thank you, Adam. I agree. Listen, whenever we get round to uh, Dirty Dancing, that's going to be a big one for the musical numbers. Who's the villain of Dirty Dancing? Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Yeah, <laughs> dancing all the time. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Baby's dad doesn't want her to dance and stuff. He's the villain. And at the end, he says, "Nobody puts baby in the corner." <laughs> he fucks her on top of a watermelon, I think. I, know, I haven't seen it for a while. <laughs> but yeah, Baby's dad is the villain of Dirty Dancing for sure. So he comes to her in the real world before taking her to the labyrinth, shows her the future. Yeah. In what way is she a star? That's the only thing I'm unclear on. All the goblins love her, they adore her. He makes them watch her shows and throw roses at her. What kind of shows ah, does okay. she do? Just her reciting lines from the labyrinth. Okay. <laughs> All right, so some absolutely diabolical schemes there, but there can be only one or two or four, but never three winners. <laughs> First we had Adam's plan, which was to woo her with the Nintendo Entertainment System. And then we had Craig's plan, which was to explore the voodoo properties of cottage cheese. And Revita. And we had Gaz's plan which sees Sarah fronting a salon named Groomers. And then we had my plan, which was a saucy little counteroffer made before Sarah goes into the labyrinth. Gentlemen, it's time to vote. I have voted for the one who was most similar to my plan, Lord Manly Supreme. And I've even yes. done some little pictures of a keyboard, a guitar and a microphone and some musical notes. Beautiful. Very nice. Okay. Craig. Well, I'm afraid I thought your song was as try-hard as Turner's little picture there. Uh, and for me, there was only... There was uh, honestly, genuinely only one thing that I could vote for this week. And what else could it be but that fantastic 80s synth, which is going to be in my head forever. Ah, nice. Manly like and it. the Supremes. Yay. 80s style. It was wonderful. I Thank loved you. it. I didn't Thank want you. to. <laughs> <laughs> really? What? You kept that to yourself very well. Gaz. Well, I'm afraid it's an absolute landslide 
for Lord Manly Supreme. Oh, lovely. And uh, I voted for Adam because I thought the Nintendo yeah. was the uh, was probably the one that would work the best. It's the one that would work on you. <laughs> yeah. So, Gaz, please tell us what has that done to the diabolical leaderboard? Well, this time round, in joint first place with seven and a half points apiece is myself, Gaz, and Craig. And then in joint second, third, or fourth place, whichever way you want to phrase it, is <laughs> Lord Manly Supreme and Adam with four and a half Ooh. points apiece. Ooh. Closing the gap. Things are hotting up. Mm-hmm. Things the are spicy meatball. <laughs> and Craig, as next week's host, please tell us what film you've picked for us. Murder in Sleepy Hollow. what's the film (laughs) (laughs) so that's it for another episode thank you for listening don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss an episode but most importantly of all tell all of your friends about us even the ones you call friends but really you're not that keen on think about it if you get them into the show that's one less hour a week you have to worry about them bugging you it's win-win. Follow us on the usual social medias at DiabolicalPod throughout the week for more mildly interesting content. And join us next time when we'll be dissecting Sleepy Hollow. And remember, it's only forever, not long at all. is pretty proud of his business. Oh, fuck you now. <laughs> Cocks all round tonight. Absolutely. I just love it. It's not that you mess up. It's just that your reaction to you, like tripping over your words, is priceless every time. <laughs> it's just frustrating, isn't it? It's yeah. so funny, though. It makes me... Okay. Yep. Jareth is third time to charm. Third time to charm. (laughs) This is absolutely fucked, this punchline now.